Hi guys. So welcome to uh, a new episode, something brand new, uh, Diaspora Diaries, where it's a talk show where we're basically talking about real life in the diaspora. And this is the premiere episode. And I have a very special guest. She's a co-coach uh, and she lives in my neighboring country. She lives right across the border in Germany. And her name is Sandra Munoro. Hey! Hey, hey. <laughs> hey girl, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm just going to jump right in because yeah, uh mm -hmm. it's something new for everybody and everybody's going to be wondering what is this about so we're just going to jump right in we want to know what is your migration story how do you get from zimbabwe because you're from zimbabwe how do you yes. get from zimbabwe to germany what was your route yes well first of all absolute pleasure for me to be the very first one so i aim to please i try not to disappoint you and um so i am from blue Ayo, zimbabwe and Yay, my hometown Bulawayo! Yes, yes. And um, when I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what am I going to do next? But what I always knew I wanted to do was go outside, see something else. My dad is a sales rep and he was that guy that you take to the airport when people just weren't traveling. You know, it's a luxury. And he was seeing places like Sweden, like wherever that is, this guy just goes into the plane and disappears and i was like i want to be that guy so when the opportunity came up um to be an au pair in germany i was like this is this is my calling <laughs> um and i initially thought i was just coming for a gap year you know naive 18 year old um and when i arrived here my eyes were opened you know i started to really understand what kind of an economic crisis we had. And long story short, I figured I was an economic refugee of sorts and um, did my best to make sure that I stayed here and I studied here. Okay, so this is something that's very interesting because you actually used the au pair route. Huh? That's something that lately is a little bit more popular. Can you tell me about being an au pair? What is an au pair and what does it mean to be an au pair? So the au pair experience is supposed to be a cultural exchange and it gives young people the opportunity to go abroad, um, live and work with locals or so local family and um working as a babysitter mm -hmm. and the majority of us um are also live in so you're really living with the family and experience what it is to be a part of a german family basically right. in my case right that's yeah. that's interesting and what was probably your biggest takeaway from this au pair experience like what was the biggest you know um Maybe because I'm, I'm trying to get a context for somebody who is uh, in Zimbabwe and they're mm -hmm. wondering, I want to be an au pair, but what is, what is the biggest takeaway? What is the biggest difference with maybe, let's say, uh, I'm going to uh, do some housekeeping in Zimbabwe or I'm going to go and live with somebody, a family in Harare, for example. Mm -hmm. So what is the biggest difference? I mean, I would say your experience also depends on the family that you're matched with mm -hmm. um 
and also your personality. So I also learned a lot about myself. I come from a very big family, so it was great for me. I had a German family that had three children and then a fourth one came along, you know, uh, but I come from a family of all girls. There, It was all boys. So it was an experience in which you really learn a lot about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I also learned the difference um, between a Zimbabwean or typical Zimbabwean family culture and the family here. So mm -hmm. I definitely felt that I was a part of the family, but I also had to understand at certain points that I was actually an employee there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I learned so much, so much about myself, so much about the culture, I learned the language. But if I would say I had to pick my biggest takeaway was um, learning to set healthy boundaries. Mm. It becomes difficult to say no if you're just getting along and everybody loves everybody and you it becomes really difficult to be able to say no this this is too much or mm -hmm. actually as an employee I'm meant to work this amount of hours and if you don't draw the line even people with the best of hearts um, might just cross the line. Oh, that is so interesting because I feel like that is something uh, that we all have to go through, you know? Um, we're not really taught in our culture to set boundaries. We're not really taught to say no or to draw clear lines unless you're having an argument. So it's kind of like you have to agree with everything I'm saying unless, you know, we're not agreeing, unless we're fighting. And that's, that's something that, yeah, I, I can imagine is immensely cultural because, yeah, here it works differently so yeah so you moved from zimbabwe at 18. yes you were a baby super naive uh, yes but that's what gave me the courage you know ignorance is bliss um oh my I God. walk so me through this this phase because it's such a delicate phase of uh uh transition you know like you're growing into your person, your womanhood, and you know, finding yourself. You're still trying to figure out who is Sandra. Yeah. And now you have to go and do it in a German context, in a language that is totally foreign, number one, mm -hmm. <laughs> in an environment that is totally different from the one that you're used to, yeah. and as a minority. Exactly. Tell me about um, that. So initially, I spent quite a bit of time um, with my family. I had a wonderful host family. Um, even other au pairs felt drawn to come and spend time with the family. Um, and then at some point, I was like, you know, I'm a teenager. I want to see what's going out there. I wanted to get into the social life. Um, and I really started to see the first barriers. You know, I didn't go to school there, so I didn't have a bunch of friends. My friends were other au pairs who also had no idea how things work or where to go, you know, mm -hmm. where it's safe to go, you know, so we get on the internet, try to network with people, come across the strangest of things that our minds were not open to, you know, mm -hmm. and um, had to learn basically by trial and error that this is a place where young ladies like yourself <laughs> do not go, and these are the places where you go, and once we were out there, um, starting to really understand what perceptions people have of you or people you know of your skin color and you don't have the same standing that you had at home you know at home you know i went to a good school i come from a good family i went to a good 
church and um, people treat to do that way as well mm -hmm. when you go out. You know, you have certain standing and then mm -hmm. you realize, no, <laughs> I am at the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who my daddy knows and nobody knows me anyway. And you really have to look out for yourself and trust your instincts because right. you don't know. Um, so um, that was, it was quite a challenge. Can I ask you um, about, because um, we're talking kind of like about a cultural shock yeah. of sense. Can you highlight to us what exactly you mean by uh, this cultural shock? Because I can imagine for somebody in Zimbabwe, you know, <laughs> you don't know until you know. <laughs> and I get what you're talking about, yeah. but I'm trying to make it more relatable to our audience so they understand what exactly was this cultural shock? If you don't mind giving us a couple of examples. Uh, a couple of examples. Um, so, for example, if I was living with my host family, um, I had the understanding that I had taken the role of a child in the house, you know, like I would be in my father's house. And then I would go with certain questions, like, you know, I was just thinking that maybe my friends and I could, you know, and then in that situation, you could really see the confusion, like, what do you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're free, you're an adult. First yeah. of all, you're over 18, you're earning your own money. And then that little reminder, actually you're an employee. So mm. I can't prevent you from doing anything, you know? as I mentioned, we got along really well. And I also looked to them as my parents, but it was these moments where you'd realize, no, no, no. Um, even an 18 year old in this country, at least typically would have the right to make their own decisions, go out, party, come back when you want to come back and look out for yourself. Right. You know? that's, it's a not whole, that's a whole lot of responsibility for somebody coming out of a very sheltered African family, you know? suddenly you're your own responsibility exactly and people let you you know it's like here take the rope hang yourself if you choose yeah but come back yeah right so i and can imagine what... you ran into a couple of walls <laughs> i did i mean i have to say um my friends and i ended up in places where we were like why is this happening right and you told me, oh, okay red flag noted for the next time right um, but it, i mean you said it best it's this immense responsibility that you suddenly have and um it's all on you to take care of yourself there's no aunties there's no uncles there's no one out there necessarily looking out for you and i guess that would be the next thing um and i notice it even more now that i'm older and i'm seeing teenagers in the street and i'm like i want to stop them you know why are you smoking why are you drinking but it's not my place right and um, boundaries are very important in this culture right so, Tell Those me a little bit about the, I don't know if you went through this, but I went through this, certainly, uh, a kind of loneliness, a kind of sense of not belonging, um, simply because, like what you're saying, there's no aunties, there's no uncles. If you have, like, a major problem, the best person you can tell is your friend, and if they can do something about it, then, yeah, you're lucky you, but 90% of the time, they're as clueless as you are, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so tell me about this, this loneliness or this, this, this isolation and how did you overcome it? Um, 
yeah, so it's really difficult. Um, first, understanding that it's you, you know, and there's also certain things that um, you can go to your family about, right, and tell them about it. But if they've never lived in that environment, they can only advise you to a certain extent, right? They can be like maybe your moral compass, but they cannot imagine the things that are going on. Um, so that was really hard for me to realize, especially when it came to decisions I would typically go to my parents with. For example, I, I was faced with the question, okay, do I leave my host family and go and focus on school in a foreign city in the east of Germany where everybody else is like, racism is rampant, run in the other direction, or do I do this, you know, and you explain it to the people you usually go to and they're like, you know, yeah, no clue. Um, and so, I had my friends, um, also au pairs, and like you said, you know, we just kind of got as much information as we could and um, then trusted our instincts and we just took the leap. Yeah. Um, and with time, I think community is everything. You know, I really had to learn that my family is not just the people that I grew up with who are biologically related to me, but building this community of people who understand where you're coming from and also very important integration mm. right so it's nice to be zimbabweans all speaking the same language understanding the beginning and the end of my story but i've really learned to make connections with people who i meet who i've met along the way mm -hmm. um who really understand how things work here and also learning the language has really helped me to integrate and it picks away a little bit at this loneliness mm -hmm. you know? yeah that is something really important that integration that is a big word because yeah mm -hmm. at the end of the day if you don't integrate you're kind of left out and that loneliness becomes yeah. a growing isolation and before you know it you're excluded from jobs you're excluded from uh community services you're excluded in general and you're isolated and we don't want to end up that way but yeah let's go back you've come from zimbabwe you've done an au pair how long did you do au pair um i did mine for a year and a half typically you do it for a year okay and then you went to university tell me about um going to university what did you <laughs> <laughs> and how did you make that transition? Because yeah. typically this is something that a lot of people don't think about. Like au pair yeah. is not a final destination. At the end of the day, it's meant to be a short-term plan or maybe even seen as an entry plan, huh? But yeah. you have to move on. And the next moving on is university. It was university for you. So tell me about that. Um, so... I picked out a couple of universities that I wanted to go to. I also, again, had um, the privilege that my host family um, was super supportive. They were kind of like, okay, you look like you've got some brains. What do you want to do next? And um, I figured out what universities were an option for me. And um, then I had to send out those applications. I had to figure out what documents do they require for me, find out which certificates. Um, they would accept from my home country what language certificates I had to um, give them. And I basically spent the six months after the first year taking care of all this stuff. So you have to do your things in advance. And that's the tip that I can give everybody. Even if you're not there yet, you know, even if it's not time to apply yet, start finding out 
mm-hmm. um, what it is that's required of you because you get some nasty surprises. I, for example, had to do a short apprenticeship prior um, to uh, starting with the university, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not something I had expected from other universities. And someone said, well, this is something you need. And mm-hmm. if you don't do the things on time, and on time means even earlier than you think, then things might not work out. Right. That's some, that may be another principle that I had to learn the hard way, being mm-hmm. on time. You know how in Africa I say I'll be yes. there at 2 o'clock, and yes. then I show up somewhere around 5 or quarter yes. to 5? <laughs> no problem. It's fine. No problem. And you're yeah. not even mad. You don't even have no. the right <laughs> Yeah. Um, definitely not the case here. Um, so tell me about... Um, that integration process uh, that you mm-hmm. went through uh, going into university, what did you study? Uh, what did you think about university? Did you do your uh, your university degree? Was it in English? Mm-hmm. So um, I did, um, it was called an international program, mm-hmm. um, but it was done in both English and German. And for those people who didn't speak German, Um, learning German was part of your credits to complete the degree, right? Um, International business economics, so a mix of business and um, some economics and some political subjects. Mm -hmm. And there was always some mandatory classes and some classes where you could choose to specialize, so go in a specific direction, um, whatever you thought fit you best. And I spent quite a bit of time with the international students um, and I was suddenly the, the German lady in the group, right? Because I had at least one and a half years, um, I had a leg up, right? So I understood the language a bit, wasn't so comfortable speaking it, but I understood absolutely everything. So I was like the representative and people were coming to me. So I had to, you know, extra, do a little bit of extra, not only for myself, because now I was carrying a bunch of people from Asia, also from Africa and from the US. Um, so that also kind of pushed me and I ended up in the east of Germany where at least at that time not everybody could speak English. It was a rarity. I myself was also a rarity. I got some looks and um, I really learned that being able to speak to people in their own language makes a difference. It opens doors. And this is what I tell everybody who comes here, you know, especially, you know, Germany being so international, there's so many big companies. So there is definitely a space for you if you don't speak the language. But it's not about that one job that you're doing. It's about everyone else around you. What happens when you leave the company? It all affects your experience. And when people ask you, how is it in Germany? (laughs) You know, um, it really can make a difference if you're able to communicate with the people around you. So I, I recognize that uh, camaraderie that we have as foreigners, even here at the end of the day, you know, Europeans are Europeans. They're in their home country, you know, mm-hmm. but the moment that you are foreign, it doesn't really matter. It ceases to matter if you're American, if you're Asian, mm-hmm. you're automatically, you are a tribe, what they call, Foreigners. <laughs> yeah. And you I just mean, kind of, you know, grow together and help each other out. And I think that's beautiful, you know? It is. It is. Yeah. But, um, 
it's good to stick together and still try to integrate together. Um, there's so many communities here. Um, also third generation um, people who, whose families just never broke out of sticking to their own circles and they only know what they know. And right. there's so much more out there for them. Right. Tell me about university because I'm going to ask you to bust some myths here okay. <laughs> or tell us some truths here. Okay? okay. So first of all, you said you were in a university that was partially German and partially English. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest questions that people ask is, or the biggest notions that go around mm -hmm. is that German education is a hundred percent free. Takes. Okay. So I'm going to try and remember to way back when, because that's also very important. When, what year was that? So I started my first degree in 2010. Right. And the second one in 2014. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've done my bachelor's and my master's here. Awesome. So um, let's start with, there are universities where you have to pay money mm -hmm. for um, the studies. So for example, for my master's degree, I went to a private university. There is no getting out of it. You will pay money for that. Um, there are a lot of scholarships and you share quite a lot of information about that. And um, I would advise anyone who's wanted to study here, private university or open university, to get into the habit of looking things up yourself. It's right. so much easier to message your relative, Sandra, who's already in Germany, but in the first world, typically information is available online and you should get into the habit of trying to find it yourself first. Amen. Yes. <laughs> and also calling the institutions. There are people whose job is just to answer those questions. Right. And you would also appreciate it if you look up the information before you call them. So, right. 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 So that's the first thing. Um, they're private universities that will cost you something. Scholarships mm -hmm. are an option. And then there are um, a lot of other universities that are free, meaning that you are not necessarily paying for studying at the university, um, but there is a mandatory contribution um, that would not be comparable to a university um, back home or in South Africa. It is a small amount of money, um, which pays for small admin work, for example, giving you your student ticket or for the transport system. So typically students have a train ticket that's valid for the whole semester and they can travel around free of charge, bus, tram um, and train. So this is really great. For right. getting to your classes and for going out to live your life. Right. Awesome. And then um, there have been some changes since I first started my degrees. And there are certain uh, provinces that do demand tuition fees from international students. So unfortunately, it's on a case-to-case -case basis, but the information is always available online. Right. That's true. So thank you so much for clearing that up because sometimes I feel like I'm going to pull my locks out <laughs> one by one huh? when I go on you on on uh, Facebook and I hear everybody's like, ah, let's go to Germany because it's free. Education is totally free. You know, you just need a visa, get a tourist visa. 
No, I mean, what I'm going to have to add is um, even if you go to university where there's no tuition fees and you're just paying this contribution, which is really uh, not a lot of money, um, you have to prove that you are able to take care of yourself. So you have to prove that you have a good financial standing and you will not be a burden on the state. Right. Meaning there's a certain amount of money you have to have on your bank account um, to get your visa. And it's usually attached to the length of your visa. So they might say, okay, you have this amount of money, so you're only going to get a visa for six months, or you have this amount of money on this blocked account, and therefore you would be able to take care of yourself, pay all your living expenses for a year, and therefore right. you get a visa for a year. Exactly. So that's um, a bigger problem, I think, for most people. And it was at least in my case. All right. So you were studying at university and yeah. then what was your next step? You graduated in 14. So my first step after my first degree was running away <laughs> and I left the country and I was like, I'm done. And I threw in the towel because it was a really hard transition for me, you know, coming from my father's house, coming from my mother's house, having people taking care of you. And then this transition period with the host family, um you know a lot of these expenses were taken care of and mm -hmm. then i was out there in the cold mm -hmm. also literally in the cold you know <laughs> another topic um and i had to get a job there are a lot of restrictions on the kind of work or the amount of work that you can do here so i couldn't work to pay for my expenses myself um and then it becomes very clear to you <laughs> how expensive this whole life can be. If you're paying rent, if you're paying for your food, if you're paying these lovely contributions, um, and you're also supposed to have a social life, you know, people yeah. want to see you. Um, Just say heating, because heating is like a major expense yes. and nobody yes. who's African knows or understands, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. painful. This is <laughs> painful. Yes. <laughs> really and necessary you know there's a time when i tried to not heat an apartment because i was like trying to save the money and i found ice in my living room and i said okay it, it, it's time to turn up the heating are you very creative trying to save the money get super creative um wow so this was my first experience and it was super hardcore i mean i enjoyed studying um but all in all it was a really tough experience at least right. for me financially that i decided you know don't have to continue to do this and i left and i went to china actually and wow. uh, yeah i was like okay china is the country that's willing and allowed actually to do something um with zimbabwe and with a lot of other african countries and i was like this is the future you know mm -hmm. and so that's what i did i went there i learned the language for six months tried also to integrate and oh my god, look at you. So you speak German and you speak uh, Mandarin. It was for seven months. So you speak Mandarin Jews, you know, um, a little bit. Um, I could at least talk to the taxi driver, you know, I could go to supermarket, order, could not read to save my life. You know, Chinese characters and me. It was not working out, but I could at least, you know, communicate. And um, my plan was to also stay there and work. Mm -hmm. Then life happened, you know. Um, I couldn't stay because they expected me to leave the country um, for me to get my work visa. And right. so first I went to Hong Kong and I spent a lovely week on holiday by myself, you know, seeing the 
beautiful, beautiful Hong Kong. And then they told me Hong Kong is not enough. Go all the way back to Africa. And I was like, okay. And so I flew all the way to Africa. All this is money that's just supposed to come out of somewhere, you know. And um, then I flew back home and I was spending time with my family, waiting for these documents to come. And then it was two weeks, four weeks, six, eight weeks. Nothing came. And nobody ever explained anything to me. And um, the company, of course, that had been waiting for me and had been very patient also said, I think this is not going to happen. Wow. So this is also something that can just happen to you. Life throws you curveballs. And that was, for me, the real experience of adulting. You know, while I was in school and it was like, if you study, then you get good grades. It's a simple recipe. Exactly. Study, get good grades, graduate, you have a job, life is good. But no, um, I started to see that as soon as you leave the safe haven of the university, there's so many other dependencies. Mm. Um, That's why I really learned you have to be adaptable and flexible. Have your plan B, also have the wisdom and the courage to accept the things that you cannot change, you know? Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. So this is one of those curveballs, and unfortunately, this happens a lot. And what we don't realize is um, sometimes, uh, at the end of the day, your your country of reference, where you will always be sent back to, is the country which you are a passport holder. You know, <laughs> so um, uh, if you if you need specific documents, if there is a a change in paperwork that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're going to say, go back home, okay? Yes. Go mm-hmm. back to the country of the country uh, uh, where you hold your passport and wait for the papers there. I think exactly. that's, and that's, that's like something, a big pill to swallow. How did you handle that, you know? I mean, yeah, you, I don't know about you, but you've gone out of the world. You've already mm-hmm. been there. It's like, oh my God, Sandy's building a life, you know, out there. And then you find yourself back home in your parents home yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um so how i dealt with it was i cried a lot um because i always had a plan you know mm-hmm. from when i was very young i always had a plan i knew i have to do this 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 and this this is what's going to come out of it and it was suddenly like what why are they doing this to me they've ruined my life you know, um, but fortunately, um, I had my family there and it was a very nice feeling. I forgot to mention that when I was in Germany, I didn't see my family for three years and three months. Right. Right. Because I couldn't afford to right. um, fly back and forth. You know, it just was not in the cards and not in the pocket. Um, so I hadn't seen them in a really long time. So even though it was a really hard blow, it was nice to have my family around me and that definitely softened the blow. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought I would like to stay at home. And so I started to go onto the internet like I would back here, you know, in Germany. I started to look up companies looking for the jobs online. And I was like, why don't they have a website? <laughs> you know? Um, and then I started to realize, okay, um, we're not there yet. You know, a lot of stuff was still happening because you know someone. So right. it was back to if my dad knows someone who knows someone, maybe I can talk to them and then try to explain to them what I've been doing the last couple of years. And if it makes sense to them, 
maybe they'll help me out. You know, I had a lot of men promise me a lot of things. Mm. <laughs> a lot of never came through. And that's kind of like the biggest, it's, I love the story because it's the biggest contrast between first world and third world, you know, Mm -hmm. the way things work here is not the way things work at home. And you only know once you have left that, Mm -hmm. okay, this is not the way it works. So um, I try to advise people when they are leaving that, okay, understand that, yes, you might be one of the big fish right now in Harare. (laughs) But <laughs> Binga. Yeah, yeah, you might be Binga.com in yeah. Harare, but the moment that you leave and you go abroad, you are a nobody. And the, it's no longer, it's not longer even a, a, a river. It's like a whole ocean. It's so huge. Yeah. And it can follow you up. And that's a big, a big jump in mentality mm-hmm. going either way going from from the first world going to the third world but also going from the f- third world to the first world that's a big jump so how did you get back into germany i'm so curious because now you are in zimbabwe uh the job offer in china didn't work out yeah yeah well actually i was in botswana mm-hmm. because my family had also left zimbabwe and so i was a foreigner again right you know, and the experiences in China and in Botswana also made me realize how well integrated I was to the life in Germany. It felt more like home mm-hmm. than Botswana did. You know, I'm like, but I'm right next door, and there are a lot more of my people here. Um, but that also meant that I had also been changing. You know, those teen years are very decisive in who you become and the experiences I'd made there and the kind of independence I'd had there um, was something that was kind of calling me back, you know? It was something I was going to miss if I had chosen to stay. And while I was there still trying to figure out what I'm going to do, um, I got a call from BMW. And I had sent out a million applications, just like everybody else, I suppose. It was like, where else do you want to work if you're in Germany? And I had gotten rejections rejections upon rejections and now they were calling me because they found my profile in their candidate pool that was like things like that don't happen wow yeah so they found my profile in the candidate pool and they had a role that they hadn't advertised yet and my future supervisor just wanted to have a call with me and so we set up a call we had i think we spoke for two hours you know, and it was a lot about, okay, what I had studied, what I want to do with myself, but also what kind of a person am I? What kind of people do I want to work with? So on a very personal level as well. Right. And they figured that it would be a good fit. And so it was like, this is a sign. If this isn't a sign, I don't know what is. Right. And this is how I ended up coming back here um, for a um, short stint with them. Six months, I was working in employer branding. Um basically mostly talking to people about BMW as an employer, also at events, and telling them what a wonderful employer they were. And it was great because I really believed it. It was like, this product that I have to sell is just- Oh my God, it's BMW, I mean. It is, is. and it was a great experience because most of the people I spoke to um, also really believed in the company. You know, it wasn't, there was no one there like, no, no. 
don't want to do this. Um, I mean, so I, me, I don't work for BMW, but I believe in BMW too. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I had a great team. So right. that's all something I, I learned that, you know, you can have different experiences while working in the same company. And right. I had an amazing team and I really learned a lot from them. And I was also able to contribute. Mm -hmm. you know? So this was really, I guess, part of what made my experience so great. And in the times when I was not out there talking to people about the company, I was also doing a lot of recruiting topics. So looking at resumes, reviewing them, talking to line managers, matching them with candidates mm -hmm. and supporting career offices of partner universities from the US and um, just basically doing a lot of HR work. Okay. And how long were you at BMW? So um, BMW kind of flew you back to, to Germany. To work. I threw myself back, but um, they gave me the motivation. <laughs> I knew what I was coming back for. Um, right. Yeah. So that's what I did. I was with them only for six months. Um, that's how long this placement was. And I would have loved to stay, but there was a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. I think in that year for the trainee positions that I wanted to go for, it was like a record was broken in the number of right. applications. Yeah. And then, right. you know, there's some knockout criteria because right. everyone has good grades, right? But right. everyone has a bachelor's. Check. Right. I right. do too. And then everyone else has a master's with good grades. Right. And suddenly you're not as an attractive a candidate as you were before. Um, so that didn't work out. And then I decided, okay, now I want the work experience and I'm going to get that master's that's going to make me more employable. Mm -hmm. And I managed to find um, some universities that offer both. So I actually did my master's while working full time. Right. Yes. Awesome. Exactly. And I want to zoom in a little bit about this uh, competition mm -hmm. because this is something that uh, I think you're a great, in a great pers uh, uh, position to talk about this yeah. simply because you did recruiting and you do HR and you do, uh, you are our CV, this, you are, you know, I'm the resume genie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the CV queen, you know, mm -hmm. but um, make it a little bit realistic um, because we, we're trying to talk to talk about this jump. Yeah, uh, make it a little bit um, realistic for our fellow, our listeners and viewers watching from Zimbabwe and thinking, yeah, okay, all I need to do is send a CV. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's the CV and it's a good CV. Mm -hmm. And that should be something that's tailored to the type of work that you're going to do, right? And also for that specific role. Um, something I see quite a lot of is CVs that list absolutely everything that people have done. And it's like, you know, your achievements are so amazing. They have nothing to do with what we're doing here. Right. You know? So right. this happens quite a lot that you see people with lots of accolades. They've done lots of great volunteer work in this place and that place, but it's not relevant or at least not portrayed in a way that makes it relevant for the type of role they're applying for. Right, right, right. right. So important to note is a CV is not a list of everywhere you went to school, everywhere that you've worked. Um, no, 
No, no, no. Great. This is definitely what we're going to have you back and talking about. Definitely. We need you back to talk about this. Mm -hmm. uh, but we want to focus on your journey right now. So yes. how did you get then to being Sandra Munoro career coach? Walk yes. us through to that. Um, so I had to crash, burn. <laughs> And then rise from the ashes like a phoenix. Basically. Yes, girl, phoenix. <laughs> and um, so I went to this university, right? And I was working full time and I got into the IT business. Um, so implementation of software, um, just all sorts of projects. And um, I worked on that. You know, I mentioned I did economics, right? So this has nothing to do with IT. Um, and it was an insurance. I had learned nothing about insurance, but um, I did the work, I suffered through, I also did additional courses and trainings. It became quite technical. So I also know how to program. It's not intuitive, but I know how to program, you know. Um, <laughs> exactly, something else put on my CV. But I was chasing something I think was not exactly the right thing for me. So I fell into it and it was paying my bills. I was not suffering and guessing, you know, trying to figure out if I have to turn off the gas anymore. Um, I put that life behind me. So, you know, I moved up and it is definitely something that gave me some security. Um, but over the years, as I was getting even better at it and I was pretty well paid, I just started to see that I don't have the passion for it. Mm -hmm. But it still wasn't enough for me to stop, right? Because one of the fundamental things that I was not able to let go of is this um, Zimbabwean upbringing that I had and living in that environment. And you just understand that security, financial security over right. everything. Right. You know, and everything else is an inconvenience. Right. Not sleeping, feeling unwell. It's all just an inconvenience as long as you're chasing that money that will give you the financial security and the financial security of your relatives. Right, right. right. You've got that topic, black text, which is something else we can talk about for days. Um, and so I just kept doing this thing. And I, at some point, tried to switch between companies and I was going to take a month break you know, between my consulting gigs. And that's when the crash happened. Mm. So I was on this hamster wheel and I didn't realize how unwell I was. And I had mm -hmm. seen other people burn, you know, but I didn't think it would happen to me, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm paying my bills. I'm okay. I'm good at it. So I just keep going. And in that month where I had to take a break, I crashed. And... Um, it was a very, very dark place. Um, right. Yeah. I was physically unwell, and I could also tell that I was mentally not able to go into the next role. It was like, you know, I had job offers, you know, with the money that I'd requested, kick as my CV and, um, in my interview, and then have such anxiety when it came to starting the jobs, you know, or signing the contract. And then I had to take a longer time out to figure out where does this come from? Because I was not able to work. This is what it actually meant. You know, it wasn't about finding a job anymore. It was about being mentally in a state to be able to deliver anything. And I wasn't in that state anymore. Oh my God. So this is something that is huge, huh? Uh, mm -hmm. Especially when we are in the diaspora, our mental health is like, 
And, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of people think mental health is like, oh, my God, you know, uh, you know, she's running down the street without clothes. <laughs> playing, you know. I had my clothes on. <laughs> but what I like to say is it's like something on a on a, it's always on a scale and there's zero and there's one and your mental health is never stable. OK, depending on the situation that you're in, depending on the pressure, depending on how you feel, depending on your body, uh, what's going on around you, you're always moving from zero to ten. And yeah. Uh, I think that's really, really important, but I'm going to give us a cliffhanger, okay? <laughs> we are going to come back with the rise of Sandra Mignoro, the Phoenix, <laughs> and how she comes and she becomes the career coach, and she's going to tell us everything about uh, career coaching and what she does now, uh, but that's for the next episode, so stay tuned. <laughs> Great. <laughs>